Welcome to The Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. It's been said that genetic screening can answer questions once known only to the gods. Well, there is a discipline in medicine now known as genomics, and this does deal with genetic screening. It's the focus of enormous medical research that can go from animal cloning, remember Dolly, the cloned sheep in the 1970s, to modifying plants that are genetically more productive or resilient so we don't lose as much food to disease. There's another aspect to genomics that is very directly related to our health. And joining us today to talk about this is Dr. Joycelyn Lee Robinson, a research scientist, and Kayla Zapp, a genetic counselor, both from the Hussman Institute of Human Genomics at the University of Miami. Thank you both for being with us. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. I want to give your website before we go any further. It's the Genetic Awareness Project, and the website is www. Dot genetic awareness is one word, G-E-N-E-T-I-C-S-A-W-A-R-E-N-E-S-S, genetics awareness, one word, dot org. I also want to point out that as we go through this, people often ask, genomics is also interested in the interaction of genes and our environments. Okay, that being said, it's been said that all human beings are 99.9% genetically the same. So it seems that in that 0.1% that we might find the clues as to why some people get diseases and some do not. Are we really talking about the information that's in that 0.1% that's important to the genomic studies that you're doing? That is exactly what we are referring to. That small bit, when you think about it, really accounts for all of the differences and variations that we see within ourselves and others. And how accurate are we in measuring this tiny bit of the genetic code? We do have research uh, methods that are able to detect the variations that exist between human beings, even that small amount that's only 0.1%. We use those variations in the research setting. We use certain techniques to look at what variations people have um, versus other people. So, for example, maybe looking at a group of people that have a disease and looking at their DNA and their variations, and then also looking at a group of people who don't have a disease and looking at what variations they may have. And maybe those variations differ between those two groups, and possibly those variations might be contributing to disease. And the sort of diseases that we're talking about, are they cancers or psychiatric conditions? Are they being prone to infections? What sort of diseases are you researching? Our institute researches what are considered complex diseases. There are diseases that have mostly a genetic component where when you have the particular gene risk, you will develop the disease. And then on the other end of the spectrum are environmental, what we call environmentally triggered diseases where your activities, your behaviors will put you at risk for a particular disease. We study complex diseases, which is a combination of genetic risk and environment, so your health habits, your behaviors that you engage in that can contribute to the development of those diseases. That's primarily what we study. That includes Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, autism. It covers the scope of the majority of diseases and disorders that affect all of us. Can you elaborate a little bit about Alzheimer's? So many people obviously are worried about it. What do we know? Can we predict it? Can we slow its its onset a little bit if we know more about the genetic background of a person? We do know several genes that are involved or are associated with Alzheimer's disease. Recently, our institute was a part of a very large international study that actually found, I think, six different genes that are now associated with Alzheimer's disease. Those genes, though, only confer a small amount of risk 
her gene and maybe put together will account for a large piece of the genetic component that we know is involved in Alzheimer's disease, but definitely does not add up to all of the genetic risk. Um, we know that there's also probably some environmental factors that go into causing Alzheimer's disease as well. So right now there isn't genetic testing for those genetic variants that have been discovered that is clinically useful. So we aren't really offering patients to have genetic tests to find out if they're um, at risk for diseases, Alzheimer's being one example. I know several years ago there was a lot of discussion, there was a lot of discussion in the media about the ApoE4 gene mutation and the risk of Alzheimer's disease. It seems to have at least disappeared from the public light. Is that one of the things that you guys are still looking at or has that really fallen off to the side? I believe that is still a very prominent risk allele that we are interested in. I think the clinical utility has yet to be discovered, but it is on our end very important marker and it gives us clues as to the underlying biological architecture of Alzheimer's disease. And there's also the very commonly discussed BRCA1 and BRCA2 markers that associated with breast and ovarian cancer. Is there anything new in those areas or has that been pretty much established? The BRCA1 and 2 genes were discovered several years ago. Those were discovered by looking at groups of women who had breast cancer, particularly early onset breast cancer, and also women that had very, very strong family histories of breast and ovarian cancer. Those two genes account for a very small proportion of breast cancer, so maybe only about 5% of women who are diagnosed with breast cancer can be found to have a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 mutation that is the cause of that cancer. So yes, there is clinical testing available for those genes. Typically, that's reserved for women who or families who show a very strong history of breast cancer and possibly ovarian cancer. So it's not something that's widely used to screen women to find out whether they are at risk, but um, it's something that's offered in the particularly beneficial cases. One of the clear concerns is that if we can screen people in advance and we know that they're, for example, at risk for Huntington's disease, they may not get health insurance, they may not be allowed to get certain jobs. And this takes us right over into the notion of the ethics of all this research. So there are the pros and there are the cons of knowing your family health history. Sometimes people call this toxic knowledge. Um, how do you address it when someone is curious or has the genetic makeup that could be problematic. Okay, so you had mentioned um, Huntington's disease, and that is a common example that's used when we talk about the psychological effects of genetic information. Um, Huntington's disease is a neurodegenerative disorder that often has an onset in the mid midlife and middle age, and it's not curable. So finding out that you have a family history of Huntington's disease through a genetic test is a big decision for families that have, are affected by the condition. Some people may want to know that they are at risk they, they can get a genetic test if they have a family history to find out whether or not they will, in fact, develop the disease or whether or not they do not have the genetic change that will cause them to develop the disease. That information is very strong, as you can imagine, knowing that you're going to develop a neurodegenerative disease later on in your life is pretty psychologically distressing information or it could be psychologically relieving information. It depends on how you, you look at it when, from a life planning type of perspective. But some people want to know that information because they would like to use it in a way that they feel beneficial for them. Do you think it's very important, therefore, that people really get a good family health history that would include these things? Yes. Of course. <laughs> Joy, if you'd like to answer that question, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that, in fact, we feel it is critical for people to know their family health history and share that amongst family members. It could, in many cases, prevent disease because those who are aware of their risk can speak to their doctors and put together appropriate personalized plans. For those who aren't aware that they were at risk, they can get appropriate testing, be referred to genetic counseling, and possibly alleviate, if a disease develops, alleviate a lot of the physical symptoms as well as emotional distress. We, as part of this, have created a program called the Genetics Awareness Project, and our goal is to inform the community about the importance of family health history. One factor that we feel is really important is that all ethnic groups are aware of the power of this type of information, family health history. So it is very important for people to take a very good family health history and share it with their physicians. I could see it even becoming part of a basic decision of a young couple to have a child or not. Of course. And when we talk about family health history, we do talk about those very severe, maybe childhood onset conditions that that you might be speaking of. But we also are talking about these complex diseases that people might be um, at risk of getting later in their life. So, for example, heart disease or diabetes or a certain type of cancer. We know that these conditions have a hereditary component. And we may not know exactly which genes or which pieces of our genome are the particular areas of interest for those diseases, but we know that that piece is there. Since we know that, we can ask people to look back in your family history. Are there several people in your family developed diabetes? Do you have several aunts and uncles, maybe on both sides or even one side of the family that have developed that earlier in life? Are there things that your doctor could do differently or recommend to you to do differently as far as lifestyle or or diet change that would improve your health outcome that could possibly either alleviate or prevent the development of, of diabetes in your case? So looking back into the health history really can detect those complex diseases that we know have a genetic component, but also those other conditions that we know are caused by our genes. Does your particular study group look at techniques for what's known as gene therapy, and that's when you try to correct faulty genes responsible for disease development, or is that the focus of other organizations? Our research efforts right now at the Husband Institute for Human Genomics are not focused towards gene therapy. There are other institutes that sure are looking into many different types of gene therapy. Our goals are mostly, at this point, looking for the underlying genetic causes and how that interacts with our environment um, and how we develop diseases. One of the things that has been the subject of much discussion is the alleged, because the statistics are hard sometimes to define, the notions of autism. We seem to be seeing so many more people born with autism. Has your data shown anything that indicates where this is coming from? Is it an environmental thing that's mixing with genetic? Any, any comments on that, please? Yes, we do research autism as one of the many complex disorders at our institute. What we have found is that the genetic architecture of autism is complex, and we're not really sure why the numbers are rising, but we do understand that there could be up to 100 or more genes that confer some sort of risk in varying ways either one gene that can confer a large risk. And so we find that in cases of Fragile X or MECP2, which is a gene in which people develop Rett's disorder, there could be several genes that confer small risk. So each gene provides some risk, and that combination together can cause autism. And then there's also copy number variations, which are changes in the genes, either more genetic material than should be there 
not enough genetic material, changes in the proteins on the DNA that can cause the symptoms that we see as autism. So at our end, we're just trying to figure out all of those pieces and what is the underlying biological architecture of autism so that we can then look to the population and try to figure out why are these numbers increasing. We are at a very basic level trying to understand the way autism develops genetically in different individuals. Is there sufficient information yet that would suggest genetic testing if a sibling gave birth to a child who has autism? Would you have the other adult siblings tested before they became pregnant? So what the, the changes in the genome that, that Joy is, is speaking of are really on a research basis at this point. So there are many different genes that we know are involved in autism, but we don't know exactly how much they are involved, and detecting them on a research basis wouldn't typically carry over into testing other family members for the same variation that was found in a person in a research study. There are um, genetic tests that working in a, a clinical setting and if a child is, that has autism and if there is a clinical test done for the genes that we know um, that finds a genetic change that causes autism um, and it, that change is determined to be causative or have a significant role um, or be part of a genetic syndrome that we also know causes autism as a feature of the syndrome, then the family may be offered to do testing of other family members. But that's outside of the research setting and those are genes that we have had established. We've established causation with a, with a condition and it may have autism as a part of it. The reason I ask is so many people are impatient and they want to have these questions answered earlier on, and we're just not to that point scientifically yet, that's all. Unfortunately, research, genetic research in particular, genomic research, takes a long time. So we have to start by understanding what genes are there in the first place, and then which of the genes have anything to do with the disease that we're looking at, and then how much do they have to do with it, and is it worth a family, or is it important for a family to know if they have that change, and what would they do with that information? So that continuum takes quite a bit of time to, change, to take something from a research setting all the way to to helping a family individually in a clinical setting. It also speaks to the importance of who is going to interpret the data, and obviously you folks have the staff to do this. It wasn't too long ago that there was a lot of offerings by various entrepreneurs, shall we say, to do genomic studies to see which psychiatric medication a person would respond to as opposed to other psychiatric medications. Great idea. I wish we had it. We don't, and all those kits and offerings seem to have disappeared. It's very important that people understand if they're going to look at a genetic issue in their life, they come to an organization like yours where they have people who properly know how to interpret it and deal with it. Yes, so, we would agree. So where are you going in the future? Are we looking at any particularly new and exciting research things that are on the cusp, or is this still just a very slow, tedious, but obviously necessary prospect? Do you think we'll get to the point where we'll be able to do things like in Star Trek and scan people and, and, and know what risk they're at? The ultimate goal is to really improve um, patient care. So being able to see, I guess the, the goal in the future is that a doctor may be able to know in advance what their patient may be at risk for getting, what genetic markers that their patient has so that we can either prevent or 
best diagnose or treat as early as possible the disease that we know that that person is particularly at risk for. We all have genetic variations that are putting us at risk and protecting us um, from certain diseases. And knowing which people fall in which categories would be ideal. The Yes, it is a slow and tedious process at this, at this moment, but I think that we're all working towards the same goal, which is to best identify what genes are out there that are causing disease so that we can best predict and treat and develop treatments in the future. So, And I would say as the technology advances, I think our ideas and the direction and theories that we have about disease and about genetics and genomics role in that is far advanced compared to the technology that we have to actually test those theories. And as the technology improves and becomes more affordable, I think we'll be able to answer a lot of those questions and get information out to the clinical community to improve patient care. So to answer your question, in addition to what Kayla said, I think we're right on the cusp and we're very excited about the research that is occurring. There's a lot waiting in the wings, and we're very excited about the work that we're doing. If people want some additional information or actually become part of your awareness project, should they qualify, the website is www.geneticsawareness.org. It's one word, G-E-N-E-T-I-C-S-A-W-A-R-N-E-S-S. And yes, you do have to take a breath in the middle of that word to spell it out. <laughs> but geneticsawareness.org at the University of Miami. Dr. Johnson is a research scientist and Kayla Zapp is a genetic counselor at the Husband Institute of Human Genomics. We've reviewed a topic that will be very important for all of us to keep a close eye on as it develops. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very you. much. I'd just like to add that this project was funded by the Life Technologies Foundation, and we're very grateful to our funders for this opportunity to share this information with the community.